The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. time. I think someone said last week, it's very true. Thank you, Meg, for all your help. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Philippians. We're still in the book of Philippians. We'll be for a couple more months. Philippians chapter 1, and only one verse today. Philippians 1, 21. You say, only one verse. Yes, only one verse. You know, this is why we preach week after week. We don't just take random topics and preach on them. We we go through verse by verse through the Bible, because it's like when you're talking to your best friend, and then someone random comes up to you and says, oh, well, I had that happen in my life. And it's that awkward silence of, you weren't even here for the conversation. How did you understand what we're talking about? Do you know what I mean? That's what it is when you just jump in a Bible verse. You just kind of think you understand the context, but you don't. So this is why we're going to do one verse today. And the next couple weeks, we're going to look at gospel-centered living, gospel-centered living. And if you are a guest here today and do not have a Bible, you can use those great pew Bibles. And we're on page 980. If you do not have a Bible, please take that as a gift from us to you this morning. Well, you know, it's always good to be dressed correctly, isn't it? Uh, some of you dress much better than others, and I mean that in a good way, because you dress probably much better than I do, but especially shoes. Dressing with shoes is a very, very good thing. And uh, let me throw up a picture for you for a guy who has a shoe. If you ever want to see what a weird picture is, go to Google, type in shoe model, and see what comes up. This is what came up for guy shoe model. So this is the best. This guy's getting paid to put his feet out. So uh, you got your career for later. But, you know, dressing appropriately is good. This guy has matching shoes, probably costs more than we all make in a week. But let me show you a guy who did not have the right shoes on. Go ahead and throw this up. You know, a couple weeks ago... I was uh, meeting with Jeff, uh, Jeff Mueller down here in the red, and some other people in the week, and I decided that I was going to wear two wrong shoes. I didn't realize it, though, until it was 5 o'clock, and I had probably talked to about 20 different people from the church, that I had two mismatching shoes on the entire day. Now, for you, that may seem like a funny thing, but I took this at Price Chopper in Independence, and I, I just had to show the world. This had more likes on Facebook than the announcement of our daughter, Scarlett. And more comments than we were getting married. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous how many people thought this was the most funny thing they had ever seen. It wasn't funny for me. It was funny for you. But, uh, you know, it's, it pays to have the correct shoes on, doesn't it? It pays to have the right pair matched with the right thing. Because if you don't have the right pair matched with the right thing, you can end up looking like an idiot like I did for the first eight hours of your day. Now, I know none of you have never worn the wrong pair of shoes. Or ladies, you've worn a half-size heel and you have another inch-high heel. I've, I heard all these comments on Facebook. You know, it reminds me of what G.K. Chesterton said, one of the great English authors. Uh, someone asked him what was wrong with the world, and he said, I am. And that's kind of how I thought about when I wore these shoes is, you know, it wasn't anyone else's fault. I had the power to put them on or not put them on, but I chose to put on the wrong shoes. You know, spiritually speaking, isn't that how sometimes we do the Christian life? It begs the question that in all of our Christianity, have you checked your feet, quote-unquote, lately? 
Sometimes we like to think that we have all our ducks in a row spiritually, that we have the right pair of shoes on, so to speak. But when it comes down to it, maybe we're off just a little bit. And at the end of the day, we look down and say, Lord, what have I really done for you this day? Mark 10.45 says it this way. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, often we think that the Christian life is like a corporate ladder. But friends, this morning, much as my shoe thing will tell you, you have to have on the right pair because our symbol is a cross, not a ladder. It is a towel of service, not a tux to be worn. Amen? God gives us power to overcome even when we are off, misplaced in our priorities, when we think we have it all together. This is why I chose one verse for you today. Because today we're going to look at a very simple verse. Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just live for Christ and if you die for him, it's gain. But how often do we walk through this life as a Christian and somehow get off the path that we should be and we think we have the right shoes on. We think we have the right perspective. But in reality, if we were to look down, we would see that we actually have two misplaced priorities. So what is Paul saying? What is the secret of Paul's life? What propelled him to live such a dynamic life week after week after week? What made him such a force for God? How can you explain the life of this man? Why was he so unyielding that no matter what happened in his life, he was focused on living for Christ or dying for Christ? What made him such a stalwart of the faith? What makes you have the ability to stand up for Christ no matter where you're at? Would you live your life with that same motto? God, for me to live today is Christ, and if I were to die, it's the greatest gain ever. But if you want to do that, we have to know that this is the truth. To live without Christ is to die, but to die with Christ is to live. Just flip that verse on its head. Because so many people think if they just get the best car, the best job, and they climb that ladder, whether it's construction ladder, literally, and the, they become a foreman, or they become the boss with the corner office, or whatever it is, that they've hit it. But for Paul, he thought through it all on its head. For him to live to Christ is to die is gain. I desperately need the reality of this verse in my life. Do you? Do you need more to live as Christ? You need this to be true in your life, and I need this to be true in my life. Because, friends, if we miss what Christ is saying through Paul, we've missed it all. So our outline today is very simple. Your pastor has a very detailed outline for you. You ready for this? Two points today of gospel-centered living. To live is Christ, to die is gain. How long did you work on your sermon this week, Darren? To live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, many claim this to be their life verse. It's a text that stands out so worthy. And it's a text that you could preach on for weeks on weeks and weeks, and you could never touch the depths of it. Actually, there was an old Puritan guy named Richard Sibbs who tried to do this, and he has a book on the, uh, the, the sermons of Philippians 1.21. It's in my office if you ever want to come by and read it. So be grateful you're only getting one sermon today out of it at this time. But no matter what happens in this life, whether by death or by gain, Paul sees it as a victory. If he lives, it's a victory. If he dies, it's a victory. Because it all goes back to Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing these verses, as you know, from prison. Last week we saw that he had some challenges. 
he had preachers who were true preachers, but were, had false motives against him. He had some very tough times. If you remember last week, we saw that even in the most difficult circumstances, Paul found that he could rejoice in Jesus Christ. That adversity was his greatest evangelist in his life. And as we go through this, Paul is getting ready to enter a section where he's debating, do I, do I stay on with these Philippians? If, if Caesar takes my life, what will that do to this church? If I die, what will that do to this church? But he comes back to the one thing. Whether he stays on with them or whether God takes his life through Caesar, it's gain. It's gain. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you will join me in standing for the reading of one verse today, we will do this this morning. Philippians 1.21. If you do not have this verse memorized as your pastor, let me challenge you to memorize this. You say, Darren, I can't memorize much. Some of you all know more about cars and baseball statistics than you can lead. You could be on ESPN. You are really good. One verse, memorize it, put it on your mirror, put it on your phone, take it and write it somewhere where you get it because this is a life verse. You're an underliner, underline this verse, put it down. This is such a key verse. First, uh, Philippians 1.21, here it goes. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can we say that together? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, we are very grateful this morning that we have the opportunity to be here. Lord, this seems like such a simple verse, and it is, but Lord, there's more to it than that. Help us to know, Lord, that everything in our lives should be focused on this, that without Christ there is no life, but with Christ there is life. Father, I pray for anyone in our service today that doesn't know your Son, that you would, by your Spirit, quicken them unto salvation and draw them unto you in conviction and repentance and, and, and of sin, that Christ is Savior. Father, for those of us who've had that conversion experience, may we walk closer with you because of what your Son has done for us. We ask this with great wisdom this morning as we pray to your honor and to your glory, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, this is a very key verse. Paul puts us in the emphatic position in, in the first uh, thing here. He says, to live is Christ is number one. To live is Christ. He says, for me. This is very personal for Paul. This is very personal. He doesn't have a second-hand experience or a second-hand religion. He doesn't have his mama's faith or his daddy's faith or his spouse's faith. This is for me. It's the depths of his soul. It's the core of everything that he is. Regardless of how anyone else is living, he says, for to me. Regardless of what his friends are doing, he says, for to me. Regardless of those around him and the world around him, he says, for to me. Regardless of what the world says, for to me. This is what a real, authentic, genuine Christian life is all about. For to me. And he's making a distinction here between actually living, just breathing, going through the motions, and living. Well, what's he living for? He says to live. That's his reason. That's his purpose. He's speaking of what is supreme in his life, the dominant, overarching, overshadowing master plan that he has. It's, he's not a robot that's cranking out things. Uh, we watched this movie a few weeks ago called Bicentennial Man, where Robin Williams was in it. It's a very odd movie. I wouldn't recommend it. But it was all about this, this robot trying to become a human. Very, very odd. Well, friends, Paul is alive and well because Jesus Christ lives in him. He's not some mechanical being. He's fully alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, many of your Bibles will say that little phrase. How many of your Bibles have the word is there in the text? Is. Raise your hand if it has the word is. For to me, to live is Christ. That is actually not in the original Greek. And actually, it, it leaves out that verb for dramatic emphasis. Paul is basically saying in the original Greek, he says, for me to live, there's no is, Christ. For me to live, Christ. Nothing in this life is living for Christ unless it has that focus. Everything in Paul's life is under the lordship of what God has done in the gospel. It's the deepest reality of his soul. It's the deepest being of who he is. Christ was his goal. Christ was his motivation. Christ was his driving force. Christ was his heartbeat. Jesus wasn't in the seat next to him as his co-pilot because he would just throw him out the window and take over. That's how much Christ was in control of his life. Everything he has lives for Christ. Everything he is, is in Christ. But who is Christ? We'll get to this more in a couple weeks when we look at Philippians 2. But Christ is the Son of God. He's the uncreated equal with God. The second person of the Trinity. The fully God, fully man, Son of God, Son of man, the Master, the Lord. The one in whom the Father has entrusted with all authority and all everything that is here right now. That is the Lord. Colossians 3, 4, Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Is Christ your life today? Galatians 2, 20, a very famous verse of Paul's. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but who? Christ, who lives in me. Christ lives in everyone who puts their faith in him. But just like us, there was a time when Paul did not live for Christ. Think back to Acts chapter 9. You don't have to go there, but we've referenced this a few times the last few weeks. Paul lived for himself. He lived for his religion. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the most uh, committed group of Jews that were around at that time. If you want to put it in military terms, he was the green berets of the, of the, the religious leaders. He had more religion than anyone else, and he was about one thing after Jesus died. He was about taking out as many Christians as he can. And if you remember Acts chapter 9, Paul's writing down with letters in hand to literally throw into jail and eventually execute Christians. And what did God do? Do you remember the story? He was driving with all his energy, with all his might, and all of a sudden, boom, he falls off his horse. And you say, well, maybe he just hit a bump in the road. No, this was God's divine plan. And that bump in the road was he was meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, the sovereign grace of God apprehended Paul, took him around, and the light shone around him, and he asked, what would you do with me, Lord? And Paul came in that moment under the authority, the sovereignty, and the plan of God, and his life was radically changed. In that conversion experience, Paul took a 180-degree turn by God's grace. What a change, isn't it? Can you imagine, you know, yesterday was D-Day, and we greatly, greatly appreciate the sacrifice that was made by those who fought for freedom many, 70, 71 years ago, looking around, shaking your head, 71 years ago. Friends, they changed the, the course of physical life. So many families were changed forever after that war. Think about how much greater, infinitely greater, was the change in Paul when God turned around his life and showed him, Paul, you are now mine. There's no one else. For you to live is not yourself or your religion. It is Christ. It is Christ. If you're here today and you have never been knocked off the horse, so to speak, 
and your life has not been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, can I plead with you as your pastor to trust in Christ, to believe on Christ, to believe that he is the son of God and there's no other way to heaven but through him. For friends, the question comes down ultimately, doesn't it? If you're not in Christ, you're either trusting yourself or you are following the world's ways. But for Paul, he says to me, is Christ. Let me give you seven things quickly that are how do you live for Christ? Let's start with this. The purpose of your life is Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, the purpose of your life is him. You have no side issues. You have no competing loyalties. You have no other agenda. The entire reason that Paul went through all that he did, man, he was shipwrecked. He was whipped with a cat of 39 tails that ripped his back. He was stoned. He was done all these things. The reason he was willing to do those things is because he could say, for me to live Christ. Friends, Christ was the driving, overarching purpose of his life. And it determines how, if you're a Christian, you spend your life as well. Christ determines the priorities of how you spend your time. Christ determines the priorities of how you spend your money. Christ determines who you invest in in your life or let invest in your life. Everything in your life must be in sync with this one purpose. To live is Christ. Does your life count for the priority of Jesus Christ? Or excuse me, the purpose of Jesus Christ. I got the first two flipped there. Second one is this, the priority. Friends, he must be Lord. He must be number one. There's a, there's a controversy about 30 years ago called the Lordship Salvation Controversy. There were some people who believed that you could take Jesus as Savior but not have him as Lord. That is like, try, I don't know, you just can't do that. Friends, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, he's Lord of every detail of your life. You can't say, I want the good of God and not have the suffering that comes with it for having him as Lord. You must have Jesus as Lord. If you believe in any other Jesus, you don't have a Jesus. You have a Jesus of your own making and of your own idol. Friends, he must be in control of who takes the shots. We must live where he directs us to live. Do what he directs us to do. Say what he directs us to say. For Christ must have, I listed several things. Let me go through this. Christ must have first place in our families, in our marriages, in our careers and professions, in our mission and ministry, in our intellect, our time, our love, our conversations, our pleasures, yes, even our eating. Even when your pastor goes to CeCe's Pizza in Liberty, Missouri and goes and eats pizza, is Christ the priority of my life? Lord, thank you that I can have this food. Is Christ the center of your play, of your athletics, of what you listen to and watch on TV and on your, on your smartphone? Is Christ the center and priority of your art, of your music, and of our worship? Mark, thank you for making Christ the center of our worship. Thank you that you're not here to make a show of it. Thank you that you put Christ first. And that is a praise, church, because that is what we want, and we appreciate that very much. Is Christ the purpose, the priority for you? But for Paul, he was also the passion of his life. Is Christ your passion? Is Christ the one that you wake up for? And it's like that uh, Folgers commercial, you know, the best part of waking up is Folgers in you. You know, some of you like Folgers. I don't like coffee. But it, that's another story. It's hot chocolate, folks. Get it straight. Amen. Thank you. But what I want to get across is when you wake up, do you have that thought in your mind is that 
Is Christ the one I'm waking up for? Is Christ the priority, the purpose, the passion of what I'm waking up for? You know, Paul was genuinely submitted to Christ because he knew that anything else didn't matter. He was fired up for Christ. He was excited for Christ. He was on fire for Christ. And to be a follower of Christ means you can't love anything or anyone more than him. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, be careful here. This is not what most Mormons believe, that you go and segregate yourselves in Utah and stay in an independent community because you hate your family and you never contact them again. It's not what Christ is saying. He's saying that you love your family, but the supreme passion and priority and purpose of your life is God and Jesus Christ. To live for Christ. See your passion that you do everything for. Here's another P for you. See the pattern of your life. See the pattern of your life. Everything in Paul's life was an imitation of Christ, an emulation of him. Paul understood that the goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He must think like Christ, talk like Christ, walk like Christ, submit to the Father like Christ, react and act like Christ. Everything in his life was about patterning it about Jesus Christ. This is why Paul said, in, or Peter said in 1 Peter 2.21, for this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Friends, be careful. There's a lot of theology out there that says, well, if you just follow the goodness of Jesus, he's just a good teacher. If you just follow his pattern, what would Jesus do? That's a good thing, and that's good. But if you don't have who the Son of God is behind that, that he's the Savior of the world, then you lose the example that Paul and Peter are referring to. What about John? 1 John 2, 6. He says, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. Friend, this morning, is your faith walking the walk that you talk the talk with? Paul's aim to live for Christ did that. Here's another P for you. The partnership of his life, of your life, is in Christ. Paul lived in such close fellowship with Jesus Christ and lived by his spirit that he longed to be with Christ more and more each day. Philippians 3.8, we'll be there in about a month and a half. He says, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of investment strategies out there, people who want to take your money. Uh, there's a guy going door-to-door -door in our neighborhood yesterday, I believe selling, getting people to sign up for one of those get-rich-quick schemes, uh, kind of the Ponzi schemes. And friends, those things will fail you every time. But when you are set in partnership with Jesus Christ, he will never fail you. It's not just about him as a historical figure, but it's about knowing him intimately day by day. Are you partnered with Jesus Christ in everything of your life? Paul also says the power of Christ is in his life. The power of Christ. You know that great verse, Philippians 4.13, and you all know that offhand, I can do all things through Christ or him who strengthens me. Friends, all things does not mean I can go out right now and bench 500 pounds. I can barely bench 50 pounds, I think. But the reality is, when we have Christ as our power, he's not saying you can do extraordinarily great things like the world's strongest man. You can just show up and just start going at it. But spiritually, if you are in Christ and the power of Christ, then you are in the will of God. For you to live as Christ, you can do all things spiritually through Christ because he is the one that is the source 
and the power of your life. I'm going to throw a last P at you for what Paul was probably referring to here. The persecution that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. Friends, I've, I've referenced Joel Osteen five times since I've been here. Joel Osteen is very positive. He's very positive. But you know one thing that he said to Larry King almost ten years ago? He said, I don't want to preach sin because that will make people mad. Friends, if you don't preach sin, you don't have Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? Friends, if you are a Christian, be aware that you will face hard times. Be aware that you will suffer for the name of Christ. Beware that you may have to give up a relationship or a resource or, or whatever it may is in your life. Paul lived for Christ because he stood up for him. He spoke for Christ and he was willing to suffer for Christ. Please do not ever believe that the walk of the Christian life is a bed of roses with the hallelujah chorus going behind you and it's all, it's all peach and pie and all that great stuff that's out there. Is the closest of Christ great? Amen. But friends, you have to know that to live a Christian gospel-centered life, you will suffer for your faith. Say, I don't want that Christ. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Friends, count the cost. Do all these P's that are up on that screen. Is that where you're at? Is that where I'm at? Is that where our church is at? You know, the great story, I think, that illustrates this fact, many of you have heard of Chariots of Fire, the, the great runners of Eric Liddell back in the 20s. Anyone ever seen this before, the movie? Eric Liddell was a, uh, a Christian. He was going to be a missionary, and he was a great runner, one of the fastest runners of his time. And uh, they were in the Olympics in the 1920s, and he was getting ready to run the 200-meter dash, and, and uh, they were scheduled him on a Sunday. He was a devout, reformed Christian, and he said, no, that's the Lord's day. I will never touch that day. And he decided to skip his race, the Olympic race, for the fact. And do you know what he was quoted as saying at that time? It didn't make the movie, but he was quoted as saying this one verse. You know what verse it was? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He gave up glory. He gave up fame and riches so that he could honor his king. And friends, what he said at the end was this. And if you want to know what happened, whether he won or not, you need to check out the movie. It's a really good movie. But he said this. He said, God has made me for a purpose, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Can you answer this question this morning? For me to live is, how would you fill that in? If we have passed out a blank sheet piece of paper here and those great number two pencils that make some of you stress out because it reminds you of school days, what would you fill in the blank? For me to live is family, then to die is lost. For me to live is Tower View Baptist Church, then to die is lost. For me to live is my hobby, then to die is lost. Friends, the only way dying is gain is when we solely and exclusively live for the glory of God and what he has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. For me to live is Christ. Let's go to the second point. To die is gain. Friends, may it never be said that we died because of our, we die and our main focus is our work. Can I be very honest with you that my main focus in this life is my wife and I love her to pieces dearly? That my main focus in this life is my children, our grandchildren, our hobby. 
anything or anyone but God. Friends, if we want to be the best husband, the best wife, the best grandparent, the best worker, the hardest, most efficient employee, the the best single person until God brings me a spouse, the best teenager, the best child, the best everything, then we have to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is it bad to be married? No. Is it bad to have children? No. Is it bad to have grandchildren? Some of you may think that about your bank accounts, but no, it's not bad to have grandchildren. But we must remember this, that everything goes back to this purpose. That phrase, to die, literally, that word is, do you look at your Bibles again, do you have that phrase is, to die is gain? Do you have that in there? Literally, Paul does not put that in there. The verse literally leads, for me to die Christ, or to live Christ, to die gain. How can he say this? It's so countercultural, isn't it? If you would go to your employer tomorrow and say, what am I living for? They'll say your 401k, your retirement. But for Paul, to die is a reward. It's an advantage. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen to him. Why? Let me give you one quick statement. Friends, when we die, it will be more of us for Christ and more of Christ for us. Did you get that? So what does this mean? Let me give you some more points as we go through. Why is it gain for you to die when Christ is your life? Because of this. Because when you die, you go to a perfect place. This truly is an evil world, isn't it? Look around. Everywhere you go, there's sin, there's rape, there's crazy things. But in heaven, there's no loss. It's only gain. For Paul, it's a perfect place. I wrote out a list. I'm going to read these to you. In heaven, there's no funeral homes. There's no hospitals. There's no abortion clinics. There's no divorce courts. There's no bankruptcy courts. There's no psychiatric facilities. No treatment facilities. No teen suicide. No teen pregnancy. No pornography. No cancer. No talk shows like Oprah used to have. Amen? We'll have to have a sermon on that someday. I'm just kidding. No rape. No drive-by shootings. No racial tension. No prejudice. No injustice. No hurtful words, no gossip, no emptiness, no financial worries, no emotional heartaches, no physical pain. Probably as a Christian, the greatest one, no spiritual flatness. You're always with Christ. No suffering, no separation, no arguments, no sin. Friends, when we get to heaven someday, it is a perfect place. Why is to die gain? Because we gain that place and the one who is in that place. What else? To die is gain because we know that someday we will have a perfect body. This world, our fallen bodies are dying even from birth. You don't think of it that way because we celebrate birth, but isn't it true that as soon as someone's born in this life, they're literally counting the clock until they die. But if you live for Christ, there's no more disintegration, no more disease, no more pain, no more suffering someday. And what does Paul say in Philippians 3.21? He says, God, who will transform our lowly body and be like his glorious body. People often say, what will we be like? Will I be like the muscle man I always wanted to be? Will I be able to surf on the waves of heaven? Friends, all I know is this, because the Bible says this. We will have a body like Christ, like his glorified resurrection body. John said in verse John 3.2, what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know when we when he appears we shall be like him and we shall see him that's god as he is wow isn't that going to be an amazing time 
to see God as he is. We see through a mirror dimly is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, but to see him perfectly. Hallelujah, what a Savior we have. What else? Why is to die gain? We have a perfect body. We have a perfect place, but we also have a perfect spirit. This is what excites me the most. Our sin nature, that thing that still is around us all the time, even after Christ, goes away. Our inward desire to sin is removed. There's no more need of a confession for sin. There is only in our body on that day, because die is gain, the love and grace of Christ, and we can sin no more because God has reigned in us supremely because of what Christ has done. Our capacity to worship God now may be great. We may want to sing songs to God, write poems to God, tell the world about God, and our heart wants to burst out, but then comes that sinful thought. And that great glorious vision of worshiping God goes away because of sin comes. On that day, in a perfect spirit, we will worship God as he is truly to be worshiped. What an amazing time that will be. The flesh is thrown off and there's no more selfishness to distract us because the lamb is going to be worshipped forever and ever and ever. What an amazing time that will be. Why is to die gain? Well, you have a perfect place, perfect body, perfect spirit, but boy, you're also going to have a perfect reward. In this world, there is very little reward for following Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever had one of those annual reviews that they do at a job. I don't know if anyone's ever come up to you and said, hey, I heard you went to church last week. Let me give you $20,000. Now, if you've had that happen, we're going to sign up and go work there right now. But this is not normal for businesses. Friends, to live a Christian life in this world is a very small reward. You are a pilgrim on a progress passing through to the next life. But in the world that is coming, the world that is coming, we will have a perfect reward. We will be able to have, as Peter said, an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What Jesus said that we will lay for ourselves up, not treasures on this earth, but treasures in heaven. We will have what James said, we will receive the crown of life. Those aren't for us because we will lay that all at his feet because they are his. To die is gain because we go before the perfect judge and the perfect master. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Here's another one for you. You will also have perfect fellowship. Perfect fellowship. When we get to heaven, there's no more Baptist, no more evangelical. There's no more of that. But friends, let me be very clear. It's not let's all join hands and sing kumbaya because we all get to heaven someday. There is one path, isn't there, through Jesus Christ. There is one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and that is the man Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. It is not universalism. We do not believe like Unity Village does with respect to their belief, what they, they believe, that someday we're all just going to be there together. We're not like some say that if you just try hard enough, if you're sincere enough, if you believe hard enough that you'll get to heaven. Friends, it is only through faith and repentance in Christ and Christ alone. And that is how we get to heaven. Amen? We will commune with Abraham with David, with the Apostle Paul, and we'll be reunited with our loved ones. And what a reunion that will be. You say, well, I know people in heaven, I believe you will. Spurgeon said it this way, uh, the great Baptist preacher, he said, if we have known one another here, we will know one another there. And I think that's very true. But there will be no more veils, no more masks, no more things of pretense, no more division, no more hurtness. The body of Christ, the great reward of Jesus Christ, the purchase of his blood, 
the church will be brought together in perfect fellowship. Don't you long for that day? Do you desire to live your life in that way, to see that? Friends, we'll have perfect fellowship, but not only that, we'll have perfect vision. Second to last one, perfect vision. Friends, let me just be very clear. I love gospel music, old and new, but there's a lot of talk about streets of gold and and, 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 and the, the glassy sea and all those things, and the heart of the writer it doesn't do this. They're not trying to say we worship those things, but often people will say, I'm, I, when I get to heaven, I just want to see the streets of gold. When I get to heaven, I want to behold this or behold that. Friends, when we get to heaven, you know what our focus is going to be? Our focus and our greatest joy is to behold Jesus Christ. Friends, if we can sing about the rewards, and we did, and we sang them very well today, those are byproducts of the one who gave us perfect vision to see him as he is. Our greatest joy will be at last to see Jesus and gaze upon him and savor him. We will see him just as he is, not as he once was. He's not a meek Messiah. He's not a humble carpenter from Galilee. He's not a lowly servant. He is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one in whom everyone and everything must submit. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Uh, above the earth, below the earth, and say what? That Jesus is Lord. He has head and hair like white wool and snow. His eyes are a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze made to glow in a furnace. You hear his voice and it's like the sound of many waters. His face is shining like the sun in its strength. He's a sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And faith will give way to sight. Why could Paul sit in a prison in Philippi and know that whether I live and I go and see this church or I die, it's gain. Because someday he's going to see with perfect vision who Jesus Christ is. Friends, that is what we live for, is knowing that he's here and he is with us. We will be electrified with joy, overjoyed with happiness, captured with bliss. We will be ecstatic. We will be enraptured. We will be, the happiness of a single lifetime will not even compare to a single second of what we have because the God of gods is now our God fully because of what Christ has done. Wow. Sounds so different than the TV preachers, doesn't it? Friends, if you're waiting for your Mercedes to come out of heaven, boy, um, you can come drive my launcher. It might be the best Mercedes you get. But in all seriousness, friends, we don't live this life to get things of this world. We live for Christ because to die is gain. Spurgeon said it this way, I put this on Facebook last week, a great quote of his. He said, I've often tried to imagine what the first five minutes with Jesus Christ in heaven will be. But I have sought in vain to picture the novelty and freshness of that wonderful time. When filled with excitement, I will say, the half has never been told to me. The Queen of Sheba was astonished when she saw the glory of King Solomon, but he was a mere nobody compared to our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what will it be to see him, Jesus Christ? Wow. Friends, I'm not trying to step on your toes today, but I want you to see that American Christianity, the Christianity we often grew up with, pales in comparison to the God that is the great God that Paul could say, you kill me, I'm good. You let me live, I'm good. Because for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. Is that your God this morning? Is that my God this morning? Let me read you three quotes from people who have much bigger spiritual shoes than I will ever fill. First, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said it this way. 
He said, die before you die because there's no chance thereafter. C.S. Lewis, many of you know, was the great writer of the uh, uh, Chronicles of, uh, help me out, Narnia, thank you. Uh, one of those things that slips out of your mind in sermon prep, Chronicles of Narnia. You know, let me put it this way. I'm all about exercise, but you can do all the Pilates you want, but eventually you're going to pass away. You can even be a kale, gluten-free diet, but 10 out of 10 kale-eating crossfitters will die someday. Do you know that? Friends, we're going to die. They're going to put us in a box, and they're going to throw dirt on us, and they're going to go eat potato salad while they try and think about us. <laughs> Did you ever think of it that way? You know it's true. I don't even like potato salad that much, and that's still the case. <laughs> Friends, if you let me live, you'll get me more of Christ. If you kill me, I get more of Christ. Die before you die, there's no chance thereafter. What about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the great German uh, pastor of World War II. He was trying to set up a coup against Hitler to take him out, and there's a whole story about that. And he was preaching the gospel, and they killed him right before they invaded Berlin. But he said this, a very famous quote many of you have heard. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Friends, the kingdom of God is upside down compared to this world. The way up is down. The, to lose is to gain. To gain is to receive. And to die is to live. If Jesus Christ is not your hope, you have missed what he said. Christian, can I ask you today, is your life in every facet, are you willing to, Whatever it takes. Even, you know, in our life right now, Natalie and I's life is changing diapers. It's, it's diaper pails and stinky diapers. That's, we have to die to Christ daily to change another diaper. And that sounds dramatic, doesn't it? Paul's in prison. I'm talking about diapers. But friends, that's what it is. In every facet of your life, no matter how gross or how grand, is Christ your life? Is he who you're living for? And Charles Spurgeon, I keep mentioning him. I, why do you keep mentioning Charles Spurgeon? Please, if you... You want recommendations about who to read? He died 150 years ago. They called him the Prince of Preachers. He, he's, he had more sermons printed. His sermons were printed over 52 million times in the 1800s. Wow. Go read the guy. He will, he will change your life by God's grace through what the Lord taught him. He said this. He said, he who does not die daily does not die well. He who does not die daily does not die well. Friends, a lot of churches prepare people to live well, but not to die well. I pray as we continue through Philippians, you will see Paul's prayer. You say, I'm young, I, I, I've got many years before. Some of you are, are older, and, and you say, well, I don't know what my last days are. Can I encourage you, no matter what age you are today, to seek after Christ with reckless abandon. To go to him this afternoon, after you take your nap. Most of you will take a nap this afternoon and pray, Lord, help me. Lord, I've gotten off track. I'm like Darren. I wore those two wrong pair of shoes spiritually, God, and it looks kind of funny. I got a brown shoe and a brown shoe, but they're not the same pattern. Lord, that's my spiritual life. Friends, if that's where you are, there's grace and more grace. Grace greater than our sin. Grace greater than anything you can ever have. Is your life there? The cross doesn't so much demonstrate we're worth dying for as it suggests that in our sin we deserve to die, but God chose us, called us into his fellowship. That is the great God that we have. Last story I'll end is with this. You know, many of you know the story of Jim Elliott, the great missionary of the 1950s, along with four other men, went to the uh, uh, jungles of South Africa, or South Africa, South America, to the Akua Indians. They had a call to go out and get the gospel to these people. These were headhunters. They didn't like contact with the outside world, and 
these five missionaries landed on a sandbar in a river one day and they set up camp hoping to make small contact with these people. They had a deep burden and what it ended up being is these five missionaries were speared to death in the river that day. If you want to watch the movie, it's called The End of a Spear. I've given you four movie recommendations. Don't tell me you're bored this summer, kids. You've got plenty of opportunity. But friends, they passed away. But do you know the verses that they read before they passed away? Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Ladies, if you're looking for a great woman to read, Elizabeth Elliot. If you, many of you have read her before. Look up Elizabeth Elliot. She will change your life by God's grace through the Spirit. Friends, what are you living for today? For Paul, whether he was in a Roman jail, it was to live as Christ. Whether he was to die on a Roman execution block, it was gain. Is that the Christ that you have today? Let's go before the Lord today in prayer. Father, I thank you. Lord, I know this is, in a lot of senses, preaching to the choir, uh, as they used to say. But Lord, I thank you that most of all, that we can have the opportunity to know you. Father, I preach this sermon because often I need reminding of this, even as a pastor, Lord, I need reminding that this life is not just about the things that we do at the church, Lord, those are important and we need to do those things to advance your kingdom by your grace, but Lord, ultimately it's about you, it's about Christ. Father, thank you that everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we point to goes back to Christ. Father, I pray that's the mission of our church, the heartbeat of our church, the bullseye of our church. Father, but I also pray that's the heartbeat and the bullseye of every family here, every man, every woman, old, young, every child, teenager. Lord, if we know Christ, may we live unto you. For me, to live Christ, to die, gain. Father, that's what I pray. Lord, as we come and worship you, we just ask that you would honor our sacrifice of worship. May it be pleasing to you. Lord, if there is any in here again that do not know you, may you draw them unto you. Thank you that you're a wonderful Savior. And that you accept us, not because of anything we have, but because all, Father, of what your Son did perfectly, fully, and completely on the cross. Receiving the wrath we deserve, the judgment we deserve, he became our propitiation so that he who has life in Christ might have life eternal. Thank you for that, Lord. We pray this all in Christ's name, in Jesus' name.